there's no good place to turn around in that area. So I pull, sure. I pull over on South Avenue because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the next exit, dude. Now, mind you, they have never seen South Avenue. They have before. never seen South Avenue before. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. It's your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 104. 104. What do you got for 104? I feel like if you had a 104-degree fever, you're probably in trouble. Yeah, you're probably in trouble. You probably need to go to the, the hospital. Or you need to be plunged in an ice bath. That too, yeah. That's all about all I got. That's not really a number that I ponder a whole lot. Have you ever had a fever of 104? I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Mine usually peak out around 102. Yeah, same. See, it has to be like at least that much before I take medication for the fever. Yeah. Unless I have to do something. See, for me, it's not like, it, it depends on what I'm doing. Like I used to, when I used to ship like food, I, I shipped food with 102 fever the one day and lifting 50 pounds repeatedly with a fever that bad, the muscle fatigue gets to you really quickly. Oh yeah. And that, like, I could not believe like how weak I felt. Yeah. Like I couldn't lift, I couldn't lift 50 pounds. I was just like, what the fuck's going on? And then some guy gave me some special shit he had in his back pocket, my team leader at that place. And all of a sudden I was feeling pretty good. So. Special. Special shit. He claimed in his it was back he claimed pocket. it was Advil, but it looked pretty shady. <laughs> but all I know is that next thing I knew, my fever was gone, and I was knocking You're out good. cases like I usually did. So. But yeah, like one hundred two is usually like the fever peak for me. Like, although I can't remember the last time I actually had a fever. Me neither. I don't remember the last time I was really that sick. I remember I took uh, my temperature like two years ago because I thought I had the coronavirus, and it was like, like a 99. That's but, not that bad. Yeah, that's like the last time I can't have I haven't had a fever. I only have had a fever since that time. Maybe this guy's elixir that he gave me is like an all-curing sickness Could be. Because that, like, that was like five years ago. I think that was 2017 when I got that sick. Is that guy an alien? Um, Probably. Damn. I think he does listen to the show. No shit. So. That's sweet. Anyways. What do you got for news, Pat? Oh, I've got three news stories today, sir. Sweet. Um, I want to say this is going to be a fun news segment, but these are a little weak, honestly. We'll probably have one of the same. I don't know. Now, there was one that I saw that I decided not to run. Okay. Because I feel like we got some competition in the podcast realm. I don't know if you saw that one. Who? Ben Hooper. He started his own podcast. He did. His own odd news podcast. No shit. No, I'm not running that one, but that's the one thing that I saw. So. No shit. I'm going to have to look that up. Anyways, you want to get started with our actual news today? Sure. This one is from our favorite, UPI Odd News. Uh-oh. Plane makes emergency landing when pilot spots a venomous cobra. You know, I did stumble across this one today, but not on UPI News, which is funny. I saw this on a couple different outlets. All right. A South African pilot had to make an emergency landing when he found himself in a situation straight out of the movies. A venomous snake was under his seat. Pilot Rudolph Erasmus was flying a private plane carrying four passengers from Bloemfontein to Pretoria flight when he found himself in a situation reminiscent of the film Snakes on a Plane. Erasmus said he initially thought the cold sensation he felt through his shirt was his water bottle leaking. As I turned to my left and looked down, I could see the head of a snake receding back underneath my seat, Erasmus told NPR, at which point there was a moment of stunned silence, to be brutally honest. Erasmus said it took him a few moments to register that he had just seen a highly venomous Cape Cobra. The pilot quickly made arrangements for an emergency landing at the closest airport and welcome and informed his passengers of the slithering stowaway. You can hear a, a needle drop. I think everyone f- froze for a moment or two, he told the BBC. Unlike the 2006 film, the plane landed with no one being bitten by the Cobra. 
enough, the passengers and the crew disembarked safely. There's more, but that's basically the gist. No, this is kind of ridiculous. I would crash that plane, probably. Probably. Now, to me, this <laughs> the thing that stands out to me about this news story is this almost sounds like an assassination attempt. It's a possibility, yeah. Like, I honestly got to feel like... How did this happen? And th- you said this was under the pilot's seat. Yeah. Like, what are the chances of that? And he said he felt... Like a water bottle? A, a water a, a water leaking sensation in his shirt. So was was it coming up from under his seat going up his shirt? Is that what he's describing? Or maybe probably up his pant leg. Or up his pant the, leg? I, I don't know. That's that's crazy. But... That's wild. What are the chances that, of, of all the places on this plane where the snake could have been? I legit almost crashed my mom's van once because a spider came down from the ceiling. I was on my way home from Little Caesars and a spider came down from the <laughs> ceiling and like was right in front of my face. I took both hands off the wheel, went crazy. Oh my God. Shit, I was swerving in and out of the lane coming. Th- yeah, it was bad. Luckily no one was coming the other way. Yeah, no Would've shit. Been. I wouldn't be here today. So I couldn't imagine flying an airplane and seeing a cobra. I, I have to believe that this was, this was a setup. I wonder if these passengers, I bet you the passengers were probably... Maybe they were deviant power players. It's possible. Part of some grand scheme, and they had to be eliminated. It's possible. That would be my guess. It's possible. Anyways, do you have anything more with that one? Nope, that's it. That is pretty funny. I have another pretty funny one. This one's kind of wild, though. And this one hurts my head more that I think the more that I think about it. And this one's going to come from NDTV.com, and it reads, Tang Yu, an AI-powered robot named CEO of a Chinese company. AI-powered robot named CEO. Hmm. In several science fiction movies, robots are seen ruling the planet and taking humans as their slaves. But many people don't take the claims made by these movies too seriously, and their forecasts are wrong many times. However, a recent move made by a Chinese company has shocked the business world, as well as the social media. The Metaverse firm has chosen an AI-powered virtual humanoid robot as its chief executive officer. The official announcement was made last week. Now, this is a few weeks old, so I think this robot's been in charge for about a month now sure according to a report in the uk based the metro tang yu the humanoid robot will be leading the operations at china's net dragon websoft making her the first robot to hold an executive role with the business the outlet said that the net dragon websoft develops and operates multiplayer online games in addition to producing mobile applications tang yu will handle the organizational and operational aspects for the company which is worth nearly 10 billion dollars and I was looking up this company. They got 3,300 employees. God damn. According to a press statement from the company, the new CEO will boost the speed of execution, improve the quality of job activities, and optimize process flow. It also said that the robot will act as a real-time data hub and analytical tool, which will enable log- logical decision-making in everyday operations. Tang Yu will contribute to making the risk management system more efficient, the statement further said. It's interesting to note that Jack Ma, the founder and chairman of Ali Baba Group predicted in 2017 that a robot would be probably God, that a robot would probably be featured as Time Magazine's best CEO in 30 years. So I don't know how I feel about this, this company, and I didn't realize what they have, like what kind of assets they have. Have you ever heard of Neopets? Sounds familiar. It was like some like thing. It was like early, like probably late 90s with Neopets, like an online virtual pet that you could buy. I feel like I do remember. 
something about yeah, it. Yeah, something. They they control that IP. Remember the Jumpstart preschool and the Jumpstart kindergarten games? You remember those at all? Yep. They own that as well. No shit. So this is not like some random company. They, they've big, got, they've got some company. assets. Sure. And Tangu, the robotic CEO, was in charge. Could you imagine getting fired by a robot? Could you imagine working for this company? 3,300 people do. And a a huge decision that alters your life and your job is made. Changing your life. Yes. And this decision is not coming from another human being. This is coming from a fucking <laughs> robot. Could you imagine? Like, uh, like I, this is scary. Honestly, this is scary. Now, the other thing that stands out to me, and this is the part that I can't imagine, is when there's a big opening at a company like this. Now, $30 billion. It's not like this is a small company. This is a big company. <laughs> When there's an opening at a company like this, these interview processes are usually pretty intense. They usually create a large search committee. They interview a lot of candidates. They put together target lists. They bring people in, et cetera, et cetera. Could you imagine, like, say you were a finalist for the CEO position. Maybe you were an executive with the company or an executive elsewhere that's been really looking for a position like this. And you lose out to a robot. See, the thing is, is so is the robot interviewed? I'm assuming there had to have been a situation where it's like, well, we got these candidates or a robot like let's say let's say a ceo just gets fired tomorrow is there anybody that's just gonna be like well we'll just put the robot in place right now well there, i don't i don't see another option there had to have been some poor decision making process yeah because how how the hell are you going to interview a robot there's no there's no past experience there's nothing to base an interview on with a fucking robot so it's either the robot can do the job or not so who is the who who, who programmed the robot i don't know i think into that because somebody had to create this robot to where it's making these very complex decisions sure for a multi-billion dollar company so who is that guy who who who's who are the people that is creating this ai i guess we'll never know like this is to me this is just wild. this this is bogus this is ridiculous in my opinion i don't think this is gonna last very long we'll see what if it shuts down what if (laughs) like what if something happens (laughs) what if it's just like yeah what if it malfunctions yeah could you imagine like what is this robot what if somebody hacks it so is this robot like does it actually like look like a human or is this robot like or is it like a computer i think it's just a computer like who do you report to like what are the what are the, uh, the subordinates reporting to? I don't know. I don't understand AI very much. Like, I don't understand it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb, but I think I'm dumb too. I don't Anyways, know. I just I thought don't that was know, that was just that's funny. crazy. That's wild. We could probably go on forever on that one. Yeah. No shit. Anyways, what else you got today, sir? I don't have anything that tops that. This one's from Sky News. We've Uh-oh. used this a couple times. Brussels Monopoly game row ends in samurai sword fight with man said to be fighting for his life. I just, that just. <laughs> I did see that headline today and like, really, what the hell? Street where the game had been taking place was left with large stains of blood after the violence broke out at 5 a.m. on Sunday. A samurai sword fright broke out in Brussels when a game of Monopoly went wrong, according to reports. The trouble reportedly started in the forest area of the Belgian capital at about 5 a.m. on Sunday when residents became annoyed by four people playing the board game on the pavement outside their home. <laughs> outside their home? Yeah, I- like Monopoly is a long game. I couldn't yeah. imagine sitting on the sidewalk <laughs> or out in the gr- or, or out on the driveway playing Monopoly. I could not imagine. A man came out of his house apparently brandishing a stick and got into an argument with the Monopoly players. Reports say the resident's son then came outside armed with a Japanese samurai sword in its holster. During the scuffles that followed, <laughs> 
The katana sword became exposed after the sheath was allegedly removed by one of the Monopoly players. The player tried to grab the katana and remove the holster. Sun tried to get it back, police said. It's thought the Sun and one of the Monopoly players were injured by the blade. The Brussels MIDI police confirmed two men were taken to the hospital. The Monopoly player was later discharged, local media reported, but the resident's son was said to be in a life-threatening condition. Both men were also arrested. The area along the street where the game had been played by the group, which consisted of three men and women, was left stained with large patches of blood and scattered with Monopoly cards after the confrontation. Oh my god. That's the whole article. I don't even... Kids, don't play Monopoly outside on the sidewalk or in your driveway because it's simply just not safe. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. No. There, there's a, a lot to unpack with that. There is. That story. There is. So... So it doesn't sound like the initial instigator was even part of the Monopoly game in the first place. No, it was the neighbor. Just some guy that got, hey kids, get off my lawn. Stop playing Monopoly near my driveway. Well, I don't blame them because this is like 5 in the morning. So they must have been out there like all night. Okay, I can kind of see that. So I'd be kind of pissed too if they're out there all night. Like, Who the hell plays Monopoly outside? Yeah, I don't understand this. I don't, think I've, I don't know if I've ever played a board game outside before. Never. I've played board game in garages before. I don't think I've ever played one outside. Yeah, I don't think I've played one outside either. I don't even know where to begin. Like, could you imagine how annoying it would be playing that outside? Yeah. Like the wind taking the Monopoly the cards and, and the money? You'd need magnets or something. Yeah, how annoying would that be that'd be ridiculous well tim would have been proud of this guy wielding yes. the, the japanese oh he sword. would have loved this this is gonna be his favorite <laughs> news story what else you got anyways i got a quick one this one's gonna come from foxnews.com one of our favorites and this one's wild because i watched the video associated with this one and this one like this one's ridiculous Texas man claims little boy's ghost pushed shopping cart into his $25,000 car, causing damage. Now, the headline itself isn't significant, sure, but the video is ridiculous. A Texas man claims a mischievous child ghost caused a shopping cart to fly at his vehicle, and he says he knows the ghost. Colby Todd is a 21-year-old from Pottsboro, Texas, who recently went ghost hunting in a nearby town. <laughs> As SWNS reported, the next day he was leaving work at a local supermarket outside Dallas, Texas, when a strange and spooky moment occurred. A shopping cart flew into his car. When I got into my car and shut the door, I realized the cart had hit it, he said. Todd decided to go inside and look at the security footage to see who pushed the shopping cart into his car, he said. I thought someone had tossed it at me, but when I got out there, there was no one there. So I went inside to get the video footage, he continued. Well, he watched the footage, the cart appeared to be motionless before then flipping around and heading straight for Todd's vehicle, as SWNS reported. There was no wind that day, Todd noted, adding that the store itself would have been blocked, would have blocked any any wind gusts. (laughs) So the video, it's tough to describe the video. It's literally a guy walking through a parking lot and it's like he's like walking towards a shopping cart that's just sitting out there and like at the last minute before he touches it he decides nah, I'm not gonna go clean the cart up fuck that I'm just going home basically it was the kind of act it's like you can you imagine being a worker like hey should I go grab this cart and it's like I'm not gonna go put it to the crowd I'm just gonna forget about it mm-hmm. so he walks kind of near it but not he doesn't touch it he's not close enough to touch it and then he just walks to his car. He's like, he kind of like makes a beeline. He goes to the car. The cart's sitting there. Now the cart's angled this way, but his car is like back behind me. So he, the cart literally turns around on its own <laughs> and then starts going. And it starts rolling. And it's like, it looks like there might be a little bit of a hill, but there's nothing to prompt this car. You could, there's no evidence of wind or anything. So then the cart goes, but it's going towards like, there's like three cars parked. 
because it's like on like the far right side. It's going towards like the middle car. It's like it's about to hit the middle car. And then it turns at the last moment and crashes and smashes right into this guy's <laughs> car. He might be right. I mean, I mean, shit. I'm watching this video and it's like, I'm wondering like if, if, if he could have done something to like, but they're just, there's, it, it's wild. It, it's, a, it's a wild little video. And yeah, I'm trying to think like, did he get close enough to where maybe like, uh, you know how sometimes a piece of string can be hanging off your, yeah, your I mean, clothes? I just don't see how that would be. I was kind of thinking that, but it's like the car leads from, the cart moves from the nose. He was never anywhere near like the, like the nose yeah. of the cart. Yeah. It leads with that. All of a sudden it just turns around and goes, then it steers itself right into his car. I mean, this guy could be legit. And it was a pretty solid contact. Like, it wasn't, like, going to destroy the car, but it was a solid right. crash. So That sucks. I don't know what I... to make of that. I don't know what to make of that one, but it, just, it is what it is. What kind of luck is that? I thought it was funny. It was funny. Like, I laughed out loud watching the video. <laughs> Anyways, what else you got today, sir? This is my last one. This is from Reuters. Spanish high court backs man's right to walk naked in the street. This is terrible. A Spanish high court has ruled in favor of a man who was fined for walking naked through the streets of a town in the region of Valencia and later tried to attend a court hearing in the nude. In a statement, the region's <laughs> high court said it had struck down an appeal against the lower court decision to in all fines handed out to the man for being naked in the streets of Aldea, a town on the outskirts of the regional capital. I might have butchered that name. I apologize. Sure. The, co- the court, however, acknowledged a legal vacuum in Spanish law regarding public nudity. Alejandro Colomar, Col- Colomar 29, was filmed arriving at court wearing just a pair of hiking boots after being ordered to put more clothes on to enter the building. At his trial, he argued that the fines infringed on his right to ideological freedom. He told Reuters he began stripping off in public in 2020 and has received more support than insults when walking about naked, although he was once threatened with a knife. (laughs) The fine doesn't make any sense, he said. They accuse me of obscene exhibitionism, according to the dictionary that implies sexual intent and that has nothing to do with what I was doing. Public nudity has been legal in Spain since 1988. Anyone can walk naked down a street without being arrested. But some regions, such as Valladolid or in Barcelona, Barcelona, have introduced their own laws to regulate nudism, especially away from the beach. The court noted that Aldea has no law prohibiting nudism. The Valencia court ruled Colomar had limited himself to remaining or circulating circulating naked at different times in two different streets of Aldea, and his behavior did not imply an altercation of citizen security, tranquility, or public order. And that's the end of the article. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of butchered that. How ridiculous is that? Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm all about maximum freedom. Very libertarian, sure. if you will. Sure. But this is one thing that I can't handle. This is ridiculous. I can't handle the that whole type like, of... Public nudity has been legal in Spain since 1988. I'm not surprised by that. I really, I'm not surprised by that. Like, why is that a thing? I don't understand it. Like, I I won't even walk around naked in my own fucking house when I'm alone. Yeah, me neither. I don't understand it. It's just not comfortable to me. Like, is for any uh, any of our listeners in Spain or anywhere across the pond, let us know. Is this like an actual thing? Do you guys walk around naked? Like in Spain, anyone from Spain? Do you guys do you guys just walk around naked because it's illegal? I mean, I guess some people might think it's more comfortable. It's just to me, it's just not more comfortable. It's less comfortable. I'm not comfortable with myself like that. I'm not gonna. Well, walk I'm not or- comfortable. I'm not comfortable. Like I can't even look at myself in the fucking mirror. <laughs> I'm I can't not, I can't I'm look not... at myself fully clothed, let alone. <laughs> 
Like, I'm not going to walk around naked. It's absolutely insane. I, I don't know what to do with this one. I, I have I, no... I was kind of... I didn't read the whole article, but I kind of got the gist. I just hope I read. That, that our laws don't don't swing that way anytime soon. I don't know. They probably, too many things they, would be They probably will. That's all I got for news. Anyways, I... I don't know. It, I don't know. It is what it is. It I is guess. what it is. I'm not going to Spain anytime soon. I don't know about you. Anyways, I got one more. This one's going to come from 10play.com. This one's kind of funny. Dad accidentally orders 60 pairs of reading glasses because he couldn't read a website. <laughs> we have all ordered something online and lived to regret it, but one bloke in the UK took the buyer's remorse to a whole new level. 61-year-old Tom Arnold ordered himself a pair of reading glasses online from Spec Savers and was stumped when he opened a package that contained 60 of them. Instead of keeping the lid on his embarrassing mishap and keeping it between himself and Specsavers, his son had other ideas. Chris Arnold, a radio personality, found that his dad's internet shopping blunder was hilarious and posted it online. The post has since gone viral with people absolutely loving not only the adorable image of the bewildered man with the 60 pairs of glasses, but also the comment section. Chris's tweet read, My dad has accidentally ordered 60 pairs of reading glasses off the internet after Misreading the quantity of his order. Chris went on to explain that his dad received a package thinking the size of the box was a little excessive for one pair of reading glasses <laughs> and then was gobsmacked when the giant box was filled to the brim with them. Thankfully, Tom managed to get a refund from Specsavers who proved they had not only a great returns policy, but an excellent sense of humor. So, I just, I found that one funny. That is hilarious. Now, this can't be the only internet blunder this guy's had. <laughs> I can't imagine so. So, I wonder how much, like, extra shit he's bought in his day. <laughs> Maybe he's like, remember that, that space heater debacle? Oh, yeah. Maybe he's the one <laughs> shipping all the space heaters. Literally, that's so funny. I saw that one was kind of funny. Like, could you? <laughs> that's funny. Could you imagine opening up what you thought was like one box? Now this guy has to have a nice bank account though, because yeah, glasses no are like what a hundred bucks a pair. Yeah, he bought sixty. He bought sixty pairs. Well, if these are just reading glasses, sure, it's probably not nearly as expensive. You, you, you can buy a three dollar pair of the dollars. That's true. But still, sixty of them. And I'm the kind of guy I, I need to watch. Like, I if I order something, I gotta see the price. When it's stamped, I have to read the email. I have to go through everything. Yeah, and I gotta everything. Check. And then I have to watch my bank account to see when it gets charged. Yep. So if this type of thing would happen, I would lose my shit pretty quickly. This guy probably didn't know how much money he had in his bank account. He probably didn't. <laughs> I never made a mistake like this, but this is just this is just kind of funny. Definitely not. Anyways, anything else you got for news today? Nope, that's it. Are we ready? We ran like way over with the bullshit. Yeah, we did. We'll run through these quick. They shouldn't yes, be too they long. They shouldn't be too bad. Now, Ben, this is going to be your episode, another oh, famous God, Ben episode. I hope not. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today, sir? We're going to be going through, what, what did you say? I said Titans of Industry. T- the Titans of Industry. Yeah, that, that's a good that's a good title for the episode. We're going to be talking about, throughout history, business individuals. Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. Industrials. Industrialists. Guys that made a big difference. Anyways, I did not really do that. I did more just the weird ones. Sure. Well, I not even like really the like these are all like prominent people. Like most people, like if you studied history like at all, you you probably heard of all these people at some point. Sure. They're not like I'm not gonna say these are household names. Well, the one guy is, but these are just to me these are just interesting characters that had an impact. I guess. Sure. For better or for worse. Right. So, do you want to lead this one off, Ben? How many you got? I have. I brought three. 
three. I have three, maybe four. I'm not really keen on my one, so I got two good ones. But okay, well, I can I can get I can get going. Here. Awesome, sounds good. Let me know if I pronounce this wrong. Have you ever heard of King Croesus or Croesus? Can you spell that? C R O E S U S. I can't say that I have. I think it's Croesus. Croesus. Okay, I, that I looked, sounds. I looked it up online and it it spelled it out Croesus. Sure. What so, was he the king of? He was the king of Lydia in Asia Minor, who reigned from 585 BC to his defeat by the Persian king Cyrus the Great. Yep. In 547. He was the king of what part of Asia Minor? So it would be that be like modern day Western Turkey. Okay. What was the place that you said though? King of Lydia. L Y D I A. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. The ancient expression, as rich as Croesus, did not get created for nothing. He was extremely wealthy, and he opened the door for modern business entrepreneurs today. So he basically minted the world's first coin, but gold coin, gold sure. and silver coins. I may have heard of this guy now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So he got his wealth from the river Pactolus, which was said to be rich with gold after, you ever heard of uh, King Midas? Yes. So apparently, you ever, you know, the Midas touch? Yep. Apparently King Midas, whatever the fuck he touched. Turned to gold. Turned to gold. Well, he tried to wash his hands of this gift in this river. So the river was riddled with gold sure. apparently after that. Tony Soprano said that he's like King Midas in reverse. Everything he touches turns to shit. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. Now, he wasn't he wasn't the first to exactly mint a coin. His father actually did a Lattes, who reigned from 635 to 585 BCE. He minted coins from Electrum, which is like a bunch of different metals sure. mixed together. But uh, Croesus later minted coins of gold which he actually funded the temple of Artemis at uh, Ephesus, which is one, which was one of your seven wonders of the world on one of our last, uh, was that episode 102? But this guy funded it. Okay. So there was an article in the New York Times back in 2000 where archaeologists actually went to this part of the world to try and find any remnants of this guy's like vast wealth or anything like that. Sure. They didn't find anything like that, but what they did find was like, almost like, it was basically almost like a, like a factory to where they were able to separate the metals to where they were able to make just gold and silver coins they they figured out how to do it sure that's which, impressive. Which, which is that's pretty cool ridiculous. I, I'll yeah. read you I'll read you this bit from the New York Times although the ar- archaeologists have not found hordes of gold or splendid palaces the stuff of dreams expedition leaders now think they have established that the gold of Lydia it was definitely in ancient Sardis in the time of Croesus they have determined the first coins pure gold and pure silver were struck an important step leading to monetary and economy that is practiced today like almost all raw gold the, the metal uh was mixed with silver and had traces of copper it showed so what they found showed how the lydians placed the raw material in small bowl-shaped hearths on the ground and fanning hot coals with bellows heated it in combination with lead with lead to remove the trace metals and the remaining material mixed with common salt was subjected and prolonged heating in earthenware vessels until the gold was completely separated from the silver so basically at one point that's like high level chemistry yeah so at this point, this guy owned all the money in the world, but he didn't obviously have all the wealth in the world. Sure. So, but that's like that's like that proves aliens existed. Sure. Because that's high level shit. Sure. Now there is speculation around the times coins were definitely minted around uh, 
when he was around, but whether the technology was made around, that is kind of speculatory. Sure. But... And that's what's weird, too, is what I can't figure out when you look at the history of the saw. You would assume that minting a coin with, like, a like a distinguished figure that you're creating over and over again... It had creases on it. Yeah. How sure. the hell were they minting coins as far in advance, but it took them that long to figure out the fucking printing press? Right. No that's shit. What I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I can't figure out. That's but, funny. Anyways, that is a really interesting one. Um, well, Civilization was reset, remember? Well, no, that was before that. Yeah, after. This would have been the same place where Gobekli Tepe was, roughly. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's a lot going on in Turkey. Very interesting place. Very cool place. Definitely. Uh, my first guy is going to be born about a few hundred years after your Croesus guy. Or I think it's Croesus or Croesus. Croesus, Croesus. And this guy's name is Crassus. <laughs> <laughs> fucking kidding me marcus licinius crassus best known as crassus was a roman statesman more so than anything else he was born in the year 115 bc roughly and he definitely died in the year 53 bc so this would have been 53 years before jesus was born right rome back when rome was still a republic not an empire as of yet now we've talked about the roman republic and the roman empire plenty of times in the episode in various forms or fashions when I studied a class that was dedicated to the Roman Roman history, this guy was like a major. He was like part of like the lectures for like three weeks. This guy was a major power player in Roman, the late Roman Republic politics. Um, as all these guys were, he was a general as well in the army. He was not necessarily a successful one. He was a successful one, but not to the terms that other generals are remembered well. He was born a rich plebeian, which is like, it's like the partitions were the upper class and the plebeians or the lower class, but it's very possible for a plebeian to hold a lot of political power and a lot of wealth, but they just weren't part of the partition class. So he was born a really rich plebeian and a son of a senator and all that shit, but he was still technically a plebeian, which is kind of interesting, but he was born relatively wealthy. He basically was a kiss-up to a guy named Saul, who was a strongman in Rome prior to Julius Caesar rising. So this Crassus guy was a contemporary of Julius Caesar and another guy named Pompey, who was a Roman general. So all three of these guys were Roman generals, and they ended up coalescing into forming the first triumvirate, which, when they all could get along, was they were the power players of Rome prior to the empire starting. Now, the thing with Crassus is where these guys were successful generals. Julius Caesar, more so than anything else, is known as a military tactician, a brilliant tactician, brilliant general. He conquered all the way to England. He did all this ridiculous conquests. That is what he's remembered for in terms of like military history. The political side of him and him becoming the consul for life and all that shit and the dictator of Rome kind of happened like towards the very end of his little story. But he was more a general. Pompey, who was another strong power player, was also a military mastermind. Crassus, eh, not so much. Crassus' big thing was he put down the rebellion of Spartacus, which was a big slave rebellion back in the first century BC. He put that down, but he kind of fucked it up a lot. I mean, at one point, at one point, Spartacus himself went on a mad dash to go kill Crassus, and that's how Spartacus died, was trying to kill Crassus. Damn. So, it's it's interesting, but we're not here to talk about his military prowess. We're here to talk about him being an industrialist. Right. I told you, I was, or I had to swing it all back to that. So, Crassus was, and held his political power because of his ability to assemble wealth within Rome, like Rome proper, like within like the city and the greater area. So, he was 
was born wealthy, but there was a policy. I can't remember what the policy was called. It was like basically they would like tax like it was like basically like inverse taxing. But you would tax like political rivals, and you would take all their assets and you'd auction them off for like pennies, basically. So it was just a way of like kind of crippling like a political rival. His family got kind of caught up in that, so he was like penniless when he was a general, or he he went from having a lot of money to nothing. So he wanted to rebuild his fortune, and he did so with real estate investment was basically like his hustle and he was really good at picking out like rundown buildings in Rome and buying them for cheap and then rebuilding them and he was also involved in all the other issues like he was a slave trader and all that shit but he was good at getting people to work for him that were like really good craftsmen and artisans so he's able to just, like put his little whatever the hell he had to work to rebuild these cheap ass properties that he would buy where he really is remembered is he was he formed the first fire department in Rome which is interesting hmm. but his fire department was an interesting little fire department back in this time in rome fires were a common issue you have a fire like every day somebody's building would go up in flames basically it was just part of life in rome <laughs> you never knew when your house was gonna burn down basically sure what he would do is he would send his firefighters to the scene every time they heard about a fire his firefighters would go there but they wouldn't put the fire out they'd wait for crassus to show up crassus would talk to the owner of the house figure out a way to buy the house <laughs> at like smart at like for pennies on the dollar and then his firefighters would go put the house out save whatever they could and it was always I'm going to buy the house and all the contents, say what they could. He kept what they could. They rebuilt the house, sold it for more money. So this was this was his hustle. <laughs> Now, combine that with his political influence, combine that with his military, whatever, he became a pretty big power player. I bet. So then uh, there's a lot of speculation, too. Once he got good at this, there's speculation that his firefighters were also starting fires in people's houses. Yeah. Especially a house where they thought they could get some valuables out. So there's a lot of conspiracy theories going on with that. But what ended up happening is this guy ended up becoming a good friend of Julius Caesar because Julius Caesar is a lot younger than this guy was. So he would, like, financially, like, sponsor Julius Caesar's like political career after his generalship and all that shit and him Caesar and Pompey formed this triple or this this triple alliance essentially called the first triumvirate which was this big like when you talk about Roman history it's all it's the first triumvirate now Crassus was elected consul a couple of times which consul was the highest political office in Rome prior to the emperor or prior to the empire but there were always two consuls so I think there was a time where Crassus and Pompey were both the consul I know Julius Caesar ended up getting elected a little bit later but he had to be 42 years old and all this shit and it's like it was like having like two presidents but you kind of like alternate like you're really in charge this month you're really in charge this month type of thing sure but they could also kind of like overrule each other so between all that shit he had a lot of power his downfall was after julius caesar kind of like assumed power crassus was kind of given syria which was at the time a really supposedly a very rich province that could be very profitable long term because this guy was a straight up money man like he was yeah. always going where the hell the profit was and he got kind of greedy because he was put in charge of a legion but again he wasn't the greatest military man out there he did a few good things he made a lot of really good friends really early in his career, like Sulla, that old guy I was talking about earlier, and a few other people that kept him like in power. But what ends up happening is he goes to Syria. He had a good thing going, but he decided to go try to conquer some other empire that he had no business dealing with. And they pretty much ran him, ran him into the ground pretty quickly. So he died in combat at the age of like 62. Damn. And when they found his body, they cut his head off and they poured gold down his throat. <laughs> and all Jesus. this shit. That's rough. So, 
Yeah, that's anacrasis. That's but, a rough way to go. But when you get in, I I didn't I didn't do that story justice. But when you get into nah. the political, he's kind of like he's kind of like the little finger of Roman history, if you will. <laughs> little maybe finger. maybe not maybe not the philanderer, but sure. You know, like the, the the money man, if you will. So, right, makes sense. Anyways, that was a really good one. Very very interesting guy, Crassus. Yeah, that that's was interesting. all I do have with him. So thank you very much. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping up the episode. No, you're good. Thank you for listening, though. It's interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. My next one, we might have mentioned this guy on the on the show once or, I don't know, maybe not. Have you ever heard of Mansa Musa? There was something that you said one time, and I said <laughs> Mansa Musa was the answer, but we didn't actually cover him. This is a good one. This is a really good one. The richest man of all time. Yeah, so, I mean, it's basically impossible to tell the amount of wealth that this guy had. Uh, estimates are over $400 billion. But yes, this is the richest guy that has ever lived on the face of the earth. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> Mansa Musa became king of the Mali Empire in West Africa in 1312. Now, apparently, don't get that confused with today's Mali. It's not the same. Yeah, it is confusing, though, because you're talking about the Mali Empire, the Ghana Empire, and the Songhai Empire. And I thought the Songhai Empire was a song called High Empire. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really confused as a child. Anyways. That's funny. But. When he inherited the kingdom, um, it was already pretty wealthy, but the work that he did, he expanded trade and he mined the resources that the lands had, and it was abundant with gold and salt, the two biggest ones. And he went on to take Mali and created the wealthiest kingdom in Africa. Now, before he became king, he was basically like a deputy uh, emperor, which kind of serves like the vice president does for the United States today. Sure. Kind of fills in if he needs to, something happens to the emperor well the prior king Abubakari, i think that's how you say that he set out to explore the far side of the atlantic ocean one day and he never returned so this guy got the got the spot (laughs) (laughs) now taking advantage of the gold and the salt in the region and expanding the trading and the uh and expanding the empire's territory this guy got super super rich he got he got so rich i don't even know this guy didn't even know what in the hell to do with all his shit. Sure. And even though it became a powerful empire, he really, he really wasn't well known around the rest of the world. And he wanted to make himself known around the rest of the world. So what this guy ended up doing was he ended up taking the pilgrimage to Mecca because he was a devout Muslim. So he took the pilgrimage to Mecca, which was about a 4,000 mile trip. Yeah, it's not a short journey from Mal- is, Mali's Western Africa. Yeah, so that's a, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty far trip. Yeah. And, you know, he's a king. So he's got to come with an entourage oh yeah he travels the four thousand miles with sixty thousand people (laughs) (laughs) and it's a mix of servants soldiers supporters and like the servants they're not in like servant clothes they're in like silk gowns they're holding like gold staffs of pure gold like they got gold bars gold dust sure salt mounds like they just have all this shit so on the way to mecca they would stop in various cities they stopped in cairo right and apparently when they stopped in cairo they they injected he he was a very generous guy too so everywhere he went he just littered the streets with gold sure he just left whatever the hell he want and then wherever the hell he went he was buying goods buying everything he can anything they can carry he was they were buying sure so when they were in cairo it was said that they he injected so much gold into the city that it actually ended up devaluing the the gold itself in the entire country that's not surprising so uh 
Yeah, that dude, the richest man ever to live. Could you imagine it, if he showed up at the same time in Mecca that the Mogul Empire that we talked about in the pirate episode showed up, if they were all there at the same time? <laughs> That's probably where they got all their treasure from. Yeah, probably. No shit. That's hilarious. Do you have anything more with Mansa Musa? Nope, that's basically it. I mean... I gotta do some more research on him, because... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to his reign, um, but, I mean, he kind of lived the life. Yeah, honestly. he definitely did. <laughs> he was always, to me, he was always just a name, more so than, like, an actual person. Yeah. Like, who's the richest person ever? Oh, Mansa Musa. But I don't I never knew anything about him, so... Yeah. That's a great... That was a really There's a lot. There's a lot more to that, to, to him. You can do some more research on him, but that's sure. how he got rich. That was a fun one. That was great. I got another guy. This guy is a lot less fun, in my opinion. Have you ever heard of George Pullman? Oh, I thought you almost did what one of the guys I had. No, I have not. Now I got to figure out who the hell you had. <laughs> Anyways, George Pullman was born in 1831 in Brockton, New York, and he died in 1897 in Chicago. This was an American industrialist and inventor, and there's a lot of things if... Uh, if you haven't heard the name, and this wasn't really a name that was like on my radar, even though I've heard about this guy before. This guy definitely changed the world, probably for the worst. And I didn't realize that he ties into that candidate that I talked about in that, when we were talking about Calvin Coolidge and all that shit. Remember that discussion yeah. we had? We talked about the candidate that ran for office while he was in prison and got 900,000 votes. Do you remember yeah. talking about that with Joe Exotic? Yeah. That guy is involved in the story, which is kind of interesting. No shit. Now, this would have been like 25 years before that. Now, George Pullman was was an American industrialist who was best known for the Pullman's Palace Car Company, which was a, he, basically these were like high-end rail cars, and it was designed to be like, like a, like a hotel that, like a train hotel, basically. This is what sure. this guy manufactured. Now, he didn't start off manufacturing those. He got his start as a businessman in Chicago in 1957, and his father was a carpenter who ended up patenting uh, something called a jack screw which is basically a screw-type jack thing that can lift a whole lot of weight with relatively easy effort. Yeah. And <laughs> this is ridiculous, and I can't believe they were doing this in Chicago in 1857. But Chicago needed a sewer system. Chicago did not have a sewer system. And if you know anything about Chicago, like the geology of Chicago, it's a very tough area to build high buildings on. The fact that they have all those skyscrapers is like a fucking architectural wonder. New York, on the other hand, is all shale rock, like right underneath the soil. So New York's easy. You can build anything on New York. You can build a tower up to the fucking moon, and it's going to be supported on that shale rock. Mm-hmm. Chicago is just like a big mud puddle, basically. Sure. So building up, <laughs> building a building that a skyscraper in the city is a nightmare. Like when they were trying to build skyscrapers, it would be like it would shift like like a fucking football field. It was like all oh, the buildings just shifting. Jesus. It was ridiculous. And they also didn't have a sewer system. So their solution to building a sewer system was not to dig tunnels. We're just gonna elevate everything. And George Pullman came in with his Pullman jack screw and was literally able to devise plans to literally lift up entire building six feet they'd build the sewers underneath they'd raise the low the road level and that would be the newer sewer so this entire city just got raised basically which is absurd <laughs> to think That's about insane like they they literally they, it was a highly publicized stunt they raised the hotel while guests were like in like living their daily lives through this hotel and they raised it up six feet while everyone was in the building like it was no big deal unreal so this is how he ended up like getting his like foothold as like a businessman was doing this shit but he's best known for for the Pullman sleeping car, which was a high-end rail car that was attached to some trains, basically, where it was like a like like a miniature like a hotel room on a train. Sure. And he 
would manufacture these. He was really good at manufacturing this type of shit, et cetera, et cetera. And he was also very good at marketing. So much so that Abraham Lincoln custom ordered his own Pullman sleeping car. And George Pullman made a big show about the fact that when Abraham Lincoln died and his body was being transported across the country, it was being transported across <laughs> the country in a Pullman sleeping car. Unreal. So this guy was a clown. Like, like that's the type Sounds of thing. That, like it. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Now, he always maintained his base operations mostly in Chicago. And it's like, you. on one hand, he's kind of celebrated by like the civil rights movement because he hired a ton of freed slaves from the South in his Pullman cars. Oh, that's and right. they became, they became like, that became like a good profession. Like being a Pullman's porter became a good profession for a lot of these people. But he basically hired them because he figured, well, they already know what to do anyways. Like he was a complete asshole like that. Jesus. But it was a good paying job and it was a respected job. So right. on one hand, it was a good thing. But on the other hand, this guy, his motives, his were. motives, <laughs> his motives were never good. This guy was a complete clown. So when it came to manufacturing, though, in the late 1880s, he wanted to control all the means of production like a lot of the big industrialists of the time did. And one of his big solutions to controlling the workforce was to create the company town. So he had a factory just outside of Chicago, and right next door to the factory, he had his own company town. He had a few thousand workers that lived and breathed every day of their lives (laughs) in the company town. Unreal. And I'm going to be brushing broadly on the story but basically he didn't want them going to saloons so there was no no saloons no areas of vice in the town but he built like churches and shit (laughs) but it's like he would only allow like approved religions to use the church but he also charged rent so none of the approved (laughs) none of the approved religions could afford the church and none of the other religions that would have moved in were allowed to move in so he also controlled like what newspapers they were allowed to read they're only allowed to read the company newspaper how much money did this guy have he built his own town he had a lot he had like millions of dollars i don't know if i have an exact number here um yeah it's fine the workers were or the rent was 14 bucks a month but what ends up happening pretty quickly is eventually the demand for these pullman sleeping cars kind of dwindled yeah towards the turn of the century towards the 1890s and with the man driving the profits were sinking so he decided to cut wages at the plant without really any whatever he's just okay wages are 30 percent lower and hours are longer now. Now, he charged all these people living at this company town for everything. They had to pay rent to him to live there. They had to pay for all the fucking goods. Everything that was going on, they had to pay for. There was a point where they were making nine bucks a month, or nine dollars and seven cents a month, and rent was nine (laughs) dollars. So eventually, this turned into a strike. The workers ended up saying, this is bullshit. I had a quote. I don't know if I got the quote here, but it got kind of out of control, and that Eugene V. Debs guy that I mentioned in that presidential election episode where we were talking about that shit, he was a socialist pacifist who ended up showing up there and kind of rallied all these guys into like a union type strike type thing. Mm-hmm. So Pullman ends up calling Grover Cleveland up, the president of the United States at the time, gets Grover Cleveland to deploy the National Guard against the strike. They ended up killing like 30 strikers. Jesus Lord. It got out of control. And eventually he just kind of like, he was forced to divest of the town because it was just, it was a complete dictatorship. They were joking about how you hear all these stories about all this shit throughout history and this guy's worse than all of them in terms of how he dictated his his little town. Sure. And so he ended up divesting quickly, but the company survived until the 1960s. Unreal. Which is unreal. <laughs> and then he ends up dying in 1897 of like a heart attack or something. And he was buried in Chicago, but 
but he was so worried before he died about his grave being destroyed by the the labor movement that he was encased in like like a concrete coffin like 18 inches deep and all this shit <laughs> Lord it was almighty. this guy was out of control. Sounds like, but it. a lot of the like the bad labor practices of the time were perpetuated by this guy. And who knows what the world will look like without him and his little Pullman, Illinois town. Right. And when the town got when the town got like basically disbanded, it just got incorporated and annexed into Chicago. So now it's a Chicago neighborhood. Are the original some of the region, original buildings still up? The, a lot of it was preserved by the historical society. I don't know like the details in terms of. We what should else go see there. that. Um, we it's probably, probably it's probably. Not there. Probably not. <laughs> it's probably worse than South Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> probably. But um, what was funny was in 1893, there was the World's Fair in Chicago. And the Pullman Company town was like a prominent spot for tourists to go visit. They wanted. They had this... a World's Fair in Chicago? Yeah, in 1893. I read a book about it. Oh, I'm thinking of the 19, uh, like the 1920s one in New York. Yeah, this was this one was an interesting one. I read a book about it, about the whole, the whole fair. Like literally from like its inception to the entire thing. That's crazy. Because... Because that's also when uh, that serial killer was killing people in Chicago at the World's Fair. Oh, no shit. Uh, shit, what the hell is his name? I talk about him. We talk about him on one of the episodes. Um, fuck. Holmes? Yes. Yeah. H.H. H. H. Holmes? H.H. H. Holmes. Yes. Yep. That's, he was doing yeah. this all at the Chicago World's Fair. That's right. So the book yeah, that I read, yep. the book that I read tied the World's Fair and what he was doing. And it's like one chapter would be about the World's Fair, one chapter would be about what he was doing. Yeah. He made that house into like, yeah, the kill house. Yep. Um, the book was called The Devil in the White City. Great book. I'll Very to, interesting. I'll have to check that out. Anyways, so that's George Pullman. It's a pretty good one. I don't know what else to say about that. That was really good. I have to look into that guy. Um, I guess I guess Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert Todd Lincoln, succeeded Pullman in the, as the president of the Pullman Company after his death. <laughs> Unreal. So that's all I got with him. Anyways, what else you got today, sir? I'm probably going to run one more here. Um, have you ever heard of George Washington? Yes. President of the United States, number one. Yeah, we, we've mentioned George Washington many times on the show. Obviously, as Pat just said, America's first president, honorable general and statesman, one of our nation's beloved founding fathers. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that he was a savvy businessman. Sure. And an entrepreneur. Possibly America's very first entrepreneur. Okay. If you think of it like since its inception. I think Benjamin Franklin. Oh, well, okay. Elvis' inception, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And he really gets, you know, America rooted in entrepreneurship. But Washington devoted a lot of his time, even when he was president, when he was fighting in the war, and even after, he devoted a lot of his time to his farm and his property. Sure. And, uh, so on his estate, he grew countless varieties of trees, built a greenhouse, became a showcase for exotic fruits, herbs, and plants from around the world, which was really unlike anything that was going on in Virginia at the time. Everyone was uh, doing tobacco at that time. Yeah. So this was way out of the ordinary. And he also planted um, seven types of wheat. And so he transformed... Mount Vernon from a tobacco plantation to a diversified farm with wheat and fruits and herbs and all kinds of different shit. Sure. Uh, he got into the flower making business and he registered his own brand called G Washington. And he had like his own stamp for it. Wasn't and he growing weed at the same time? Probably. And this pioneered the distribution for branded food products in the United States. So this guy was literally, he literally started that shit. He was the first to breed horses with donkeys to produce the American mule. Did you know that shit? That's wild. That's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. 
And he also had a distillery. He became one of the largest American whiskey producers of the era. And he built a small industrial complex on his estate, which included which included a fishery, a dairy, a textile, and weaving workshop, and a blacksmith shop. So this guy literally had everything on his property. Sure. And while he was preg- uh, president, so after the Revolutionary War and everything, um, the United States owed like a lot of debt to France. Uh, the debt in today's dollars would be in the trillions. Like, sure. They owed a lot of money. Oh, yeah. He ended up working with Hamilton, which ultimately started a national bank. He did this debt repayment process, which paved the way for a lot of the banking shit that we have today. I don't know if that's all a good thing or not. Uh, yeah, it gets <laughs> complicated because the national bank thing was a big controversy it's a big reason why hamilton who was a staunch federalist yeah never was gonna ever be president right because alexander hamilton he's a popular figure but he He was he was an elitist yeah he was a hardcore elitist like i ain't gonna lie he 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 had some commie tendencies yeah he like, he was different. There, communists weren't really around at the time. Yeah, but like I, I wasn't. I'm not a fan of his politics. Based on no, you, you'll have to. This book called Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow is pretty good. I'll have to get that and read. It's like it. a it's like a biography. Yeah, Alexander. Yeah, it gets pretty deep into him. Yeah, no, he was he was a federalist. That's for sure. But there's a book all about George Washington and his entrepreneurial and his uh, his business dealings and everything by John Burlow and. Epic Times has a good uh, article going over that book and everything. That's where I got the information. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, I did not know all that about George Washington. Yeah, very, very dynamic figure, to say the least. Jack of all trades. And he was he was huge into um, supporting inventors, too. He would have people come all the time to his property and show, them, show him different patents and inventions that they want to do and whether he would, you know, maybe help fund it or sure. work on it there or sure. whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, big entrepreneur, George Washington. And what's really interesting about George Washington is he died in infamy. They were like, oh, about time that this guy died. That's what the papers were writing about him. <laughs> he was not remembered well in his by his peers in his time, which, which is, is really crazy. crazy. Which is insane. But, yeah, there is no, there is not a more dynamic figure in American history than George Washington. There Pro- isn't. Probably I not. Can't, I can't find one. Abraham Lincoln's the only one that comes close. I agree. So, anyways, I decided I'm not going to do my last one. Me neither. W- we, we ran pretty well. Oh, I was going to do uh, John McAfee of the McAfee software. Oh. Yeah, who recently died, but I can't I can't do his story justice in five minutes, so yeah, I'm was, not even gonna touch it. I was gonna do John Jacob Astor. I haven't heard of him. Yeah, yeah, we'll no, get no, we, nothing crazy about him. This just, this could have been possibly this is this could be we could do a a number two on this. Yeah, um, I had a lot of fun with this one. My brain shutting down. If you yeah, can't tell yeah, at this point. It's, it is time to get <laughs> it is time to start wrapping up. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Please tweet us at thirty in the comment on our Facebook page. Please comment. On Facebook. Maybe over Easter we gotta like get some actual Facebook shit up there. Yeah, we do. We gotta be more on that. I've been slacking. I've been slacking hard. But um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, what was our last episode? I can't remember what the other last episode was. Oh, it was the mysterious deaths. Yeah, that was a really good one. I thought that was a fun one. That was pretty good. World Wonders, I think, was a home run. Definitely. That was a home run episode. That was our best episode in a while. So please go back and listen to the old ones. Please tell all your friends and family about it. Please force them to listen. Yes. Easter's coming up. Be aggressive. 
play it during Easter dinner, play it during Easter church. Play it every waking moment. Yeah, whatever you got to do, make it happen. I know Tim has been supporting us well. Uh, he's been trying to get the word out. He does He does what he can, so we appreciate you, Tim. Tim's great. He has complained that we haven't made fun of him recently. Nice. On the show. For but, sure. Um, he did find a turtle yesterday. Nice. In his yard, and it was outside of the range that you'd normally find this turtle. Did he keep it? No, he. it's uh, not. It's a snapping turtle. He found a snapping turtle in his driveway. Sure, this wasn't. This isn't a lost pet. No, this was this. This turtle looks. It's a rough and ready turtle. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think it was just. It, it, they come out to bask around this time. Uh, he has a like a like a creek. Like not really okay. a creek, more of a ditch. It's a, but it's kind of like a big ditch in his front yard. So we think it we think it must have been connected to the river or something, and the turtle must have just wandered. Mm. But it's pretty cool. Like it's an actual like a could end up on odd news. Yeah, um, and it is outside. It is kind of outside of the range. Like they haven't found. They haven't ever seen these this type of turtle in his county before. So that's kind of interesting. So I'm trying to get is, him to. Is report. this like a big deal in the county? <laughs> I don't. Who's know. they? <laughs> I don't know. I just we were doing some research. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. But um, it is a pretty cool turtle. So hopefully, Sweet. I'm just hoping he didn't run it over yet. He had to move it. He had to move it. Uh, yeah, I hope it lived. And these are kind of like dangerous turtles. We so had to put work gloves on and kind of like move it yeah. out of the way. But it came out to bask, and they only come out to bask in the early spring. So Interesting. Anyways, on that note, uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Please sweet us out there in the We kind of ran way long this, ep- this week. So Peace. <laughs> Anyways, what else you got today, sir? This is my last one. This is from Reuters. Isn't it Rooters? Is that how you say it? Rooters? I really don't know. I, just, I always call it Rooters. Rooters. Spanish. This is actually this is actually kind of old. It's from like a month or two ago. Yeah. Okay. And he really gets you know America rooted, caught, rooted, rooted in entrepreneurship. Now, I will say real quick, uh, this is not the first time I've heard about Monopoly turning into combat. I don't know if you ever seen The Sopranos. Late in the sixth season, there's an infamous episode where Tony goes on vacation. It's Tony and Tony's wife after they reconcile, after they're about to get divorced and they decide not to get divorced. And then Tony's older sister, Janice, marries another mobster, Bobby, who's like the nicest guy. He's also like a super nice guy, but he's huge. <laughs> So the four of them go on a vacation up in, I don't know, like upstate New York or somewhere, but it's not like the beach. And they end up playing Monopoly one night and they end up drinking quite a lot. And it's the funniest episode because Tony is always making fun of his older sister, Janice. He's always just like harassing the hell out of her because she's an obnoxious person like she is. But Bobby, who's married to Janice, is really defensive of her. And like, hey, that's my wife you're talking about, all this shit. So Janice goes to the lands on boardwalk. And Tony makes a joke about what Janice used to do under the boardwalk back when she was a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) And he starts singing this song. And it's just obnoxious as fuck. And then... Under the boardwalk by the young Under the boardwalk. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) With some guy's dick in Janice's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) So he made his own rendition of the song. Yeah. And Bobby just flips his shit. So the the table goes flying, and then these two guys. Now, Tony's a big guy, and Bobby's bigger than he is. This is like 700 pounds of mobster just going at each other. 
and they start kicking the shit out of each other. But Tony's the tough guy. Bobby's like the, the, the gentle giant, basically. And Bobby didn't even kill anybody until, like, earlier that, that episode. Like, he was a mobster without even killing somebody. And they always <laughs> make fun of him over that. But what ends up happening is Tony slips and Bobby gets all the leverage and just pummels the shit out of him and ends up winning the fight. Jesus. And then Bobby gets in his – he has literally – he has your car – he has that like exact model. He crashes into a tree, <laughs> and then after the fight, uh, Tony's wife's like cleaning him up. <laughs> it's like he's just like he's all bloody, and he's got a fucking uh, a hotel stuck to his stuck to his cheek. <laughs> and it's the funniest scene where she just flicks that off. I can't. It's that's funny. I, I gotta watch the Sopranos. Oh my god, it's so much fun. Tim's watching it right now, and he sends me, like, he'll send me, like, a quote of the day or something. That's funny. It's literally the funniest TV show I've ever seen. Anyways, I'm sorry. 